Welcome back, everybody, to Uncensored CMO. Now, in this episode, we're talking about whiskey. And no ordinary whiskey. We're talking about the Woodsman, one of the most successful blended whiskies of the last few years. Now, they've got one of the top performing campaigns on the System One database. So I want to catch up with the Chief Creative Officer of Mr. President, who came up with the campaign, and the Marketing Director at White & Mackay, Janice, to find out more about the campaign and, importantly, how it delivered really substantial results for the brand. This is a great episode. I know you'll enjoy it. Here it is. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Really been looking forward to this talk as well. Like Woodsman, one of the surprise kind of uh, chart-topping brands of last year came, I think it was the most successful on the System 1 database as well. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, Maybe we should start a bit, uh, go to the origins of uh, Woodsman. Where does it come from? And uh, I'm fascinated to know, you know, the the whiskey category is kind of famously steeped in history and tradition and that kind of thing, isn't it? So, like, what were you trying to do when you invented Woodsman? Well, the whole premise of it was uh, we wanted to breathe new life into the blended whiskey category. So it's dominated by some four key players doing massive category, doing well, but actually declining over the long term. So really it was around how do we recruit younger people into whiskey, into scotch, um, and make it kind of the brand that they want to drink. So it was actually about um, growing the category from a different audience from where we were currently. And while there was other whiskies doing that, so American, Irish, scotch weren't doing it. So that was our challenge. Yeah. And, and how, how do you go about doing that? I'd love to know how, because it seems like a, it's, you've got some big spending competitors, obviously Diageo, Johnny Walker, brands like that, you know, got huge spend, dominate distribution as well. Um, it's a category that seems very fixed in its ways. I mean, I, I had a short stint in, in kind of whiskey years ago and, and all the mystery around it and all the kind of way you talk about it and the serve, you know, do you mix it or don't you? Is it ice? Is it not ice? There's a huge amount of kind of stage tradition about it. So how how do you change that? It feels like a really big challenge to get people to change how they see the category and how they uh, use the category as well. I mean, like you say, there's so many traditional barriers. And when you speak to consumers, they either think it's, um, you know, there's too many rules. They don't, like you say, they're not allowed to mix it. Um, it's too exclusive. It's uh, You need to know before you ask about it, otherwise you're going to look stupid. So there's lots of, yeah, a lot of baggage that people have about ordering a whiskey or buying a whiskey. And so it's how do you, you know how do you cut through? How do you communicate that we don't care? Actually, this is about you just enjoying it, about drinking it any which way you want to, and it's about just choosing a really, really um, nice drink on the occasion and what you want to drink it. So really appealing to that like modern spirits consumer, um, and, and just like kind of throwing off the shackles and saying welcome, you know, rather than stay away. <laughs> it was from early doors. It was kind of we need to make a whiskey campaign for people who aren't that bothered by whiskey, and certainly not by the world that it. They think that it inhabits like the the foggy moss and the kind of this the stern looking stag and the leatherback Chesterfield. It wasn't about that at all. And actually, I remember you guys were saying we need to try and think more of a beer, think more of who we're painting, to, think more of as kind of a beer drinker. So the kind of the fact that we had to defy the kind of the category and be completely different to what everybody else was doing from the campaign point of view was kind of really clear. And the store set out early doors. I think a lot of the brands, they just talk product, you know, and I think the category has been very guilty of just talking about the liquid and the barrels. And actually, when you speak to consumers, you just realise, again, you know, we are not the consumer. They are not bothered about the barrels, about the process, about how long it's ageing. They just want something that they like to drink and know how to drink it and feel comfortable and confident when they're doing it. So it's right. Actually, why do we not talk to them about something that they might like? 
um, on their level rather than trying to tell them stuff that they're not interested it, in knowing. You're right. It's an incredibly product-dominated category, isn't it, in terms of this many you know, this many years in the barrel, this is the craft that we, you know, we do to it, this is the beautiful product shot. I mean, the money that must get spent on just getting the glassware done in a certain light and the, you know, the zest of lemons and stuff like that. It's incredible. You know, it, it, people are really obsessed, aren't they, in this category with kind of how it looks. Um, but I think that's quite off-putting, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I, I was just saying to you earlier, wasn't I? I'm a very, 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 very recent convert to whiskey. You know, he says at the age of fifty, here. you know, it's taken me a while. You know, but it is quite intimidating, isn't it? All, all the stuff that goes around it. So, how, how do you do it differently? I'd love to know how you, how are you turning up differently as a brand? I think it's about, and I, like you say, making it simple. So it doesn't have to be difficult because actually you're just drinking whiskey like you would any other spirits on the occasions. And it's about really understanding what is that occasion that you want to have this drink and then making sure that you're kind of to see it, to believe it. So showing that and also just kind of showing actually, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. It can be really fun. And actually, you know, whiskey drinks, it's a nice industry to be in. And actually we should share that more, that conviviality side of it rather than that serious um, side of the drinks. I mean, obviously it's a craft takes a lot of time to make really good whiskey uh, there's a lot of um, time effort investment that goes into that but really you want to just share it and enjoy it uh, so it was about getting that sentiment over and getting that kind of emotional connection no i, I had a, a very small stint in uh, working for suntory and uh, we managed to go over to yamazaki where they make the sort of famous japanese whiskies and they had a real problem managing demand and supply because i think they, they went and won a whole load of awards and became incredibly in demand and they had to sort of wait about 10 years before they could catch up with themselves. How, how do you balance the sort of demand and supply? Because obviously the more successful you are, the more of a problem you actually give yourself. It's, it's a weird kind of dynamic, isn't it? It really is. And you have to be in the long-term planning game. I think that's the thing. This is not a, a short term. You can't just turn it around like gin or something that's really quick to make. You know, you have to be really thinking about the future of the company, thinking about the future of the brands, investing in the infrastructure, in the casks. In, in the liquid um, and actually then it is a really fine balance you know obviously working with the retailers working with the on trade in terms of getting that distribution and visibility and then that rate of sale and that can go either way you can be out of stock and that can be a massive problem but luckily uh, hopefully we've planned well we've been ambitious and we have enough stock laid down to not be um, off sale um, and what about availability? Because with any kind of, you know, high-end product like that, where you're sold says as much about you, you know, as what you're selling kind of thing. So what was your approach to kind of seeding the brand and, and growing it from the beginning? Tom Woodsman, it's really about appealing, like I say, to that uh, mainstream consumer. Naturally, they're everywhere. And so this is about, you know, this isn't about just targeting a real niche segment. It's about actually opening up the category to everybody. So actually, it's all about kind of the mainstream retailers, mainstream on-trade, uh, Amazon, you know, e-commerce. So it's actually about how much distribution can we get and can we be in all the places that our consumer is. Um, so that's been the target, is kind of trying to increase that distribution. How about, how about overcoming the perception barrier? Because when you say whiskey to be, I mean, a lot a lot of people go, oh, that's going to be a, that's a tough one, you know. I mean, I know going back to, to Japan, actually, they they kind of create this thing called a highball, uh, which which absolutely transforms kind of whiskey in Japan. So how do you get people to actually you know, overcome that? Because it's also quite expensive. I mean, I know it's cheap for whiskey, but it's still a quite a big outlay, isn't it? Well, it is. And I think we're, we're actually looking at different ways of banishing the myths. So like you say, oh, you know, on the face of it, it's like expensive for a, a 70 CL bottle of whiskey. You break that down per serve. It's actually probably cheaper than a beer or a glass of wine or 
or, you know, something else that you might buy. And so it's about actually just telling the facts and, you know, having that cost per serve rather than cost per litre on, on, uh, on the labels. It's about showing the serve. It's about inviting people in and saying, have this whichever way you want it. How about trying it with Coke? How about trying it with ginger? Offering some suggestions. And then, you know, obviously the comms campaign uh, yeah. is, is critical because it's around actually getting that top of mind awareness to then bring people into the fixture and, and hopefully be, it be in with a chance of them choosing you when they're faced with that wall of whiskey in the retailer or at the bar. I think, yeah, how you how you behave, how the woods will now behave, like, and it, it conveys that. It conveys that there isn't, there's less barriers, but the, the nature and the tone and how it's all been kind of approached. There are, it's less prohibitive. It's kind of, you understand, maybe not directly the key, but they understand that that's more accessible to them. They can buy into that and relate to that much more. Like the product shop we talked about earlier, like the end shop was always going to be a mixer. It was never going to be kind of straight just because you said something, if you said someone, I joined a, joined a gin, you'd never think, I'll have that one, it's, I'll have that neat. So like the mixer is not a bad sort of like secret, dirty sort of secret. It's kind of like, no, it's part of it. And we just want you to enjoy. And that was kind of always really clear. So I think having that kind of behavior and, and acting in that way, I think it conveys that people understand that it's kind of, it's one that's sort of suitable for them. Yeah, totally. Well, I think that's one thing that stood out about the campaign last year is, is how it kind of defied the category conventions, as it were, which made it stand out. And it got an amazing response, as we know, on the System One database. So top spirit ad, well, number six spirit ad of all time, I think, and certainly the number one whiskey ad, which is amazing. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Um, I'd love to work, talk a bit more about the positioning as well, the well-earned positioning. I, I quite like it. I mean, I was just chatting to you earlier, wasn't I, about, I was just over in New York and um, I remember raiding the mini bar at the end of a very, very long day. And actually, I, I, I would have a whiskey. It was just like the perfect kind of, ah, right, you know, <laughs> that's been a busy day, but it was a lovely kind of moment to sort of relax to. So when I saw your position, it kind of really resonated as, a, as, as an occasion. So where did you uncover that insight and how did you get to that positioning? It was it was like a consumer insight, as you say, of having that kind of like, I just want to kind of reward myself with something nice, just something a little bit, something at the end. But we were really clear that it wasn't a reward for a big endeavour. This wasn't kind of you've done something loads and you really have to really earn it. Again, that would fall into kind of the category norm, I think. I think this was always about honest everyday endeavour. This is always about being there. You've done something, great. You've earned yourself a well-earned woodsman. So it was kind of like, there were some intrinsics there as well, about like the, the barrels are twice aged and they're kind of like twice fired as well. Consumer doesn't care about those, but there were some kind of truth and intrinsics from the product outwards. But I think it was just more that insight of the consumer. Let's just kind of reward people for kind of doing the do, kind of reward life's doers, You've done something, you know, honest endeavour, you've earned yourself a woodsman. They kind of wanted that to come across that it was a reward, but it was kind of a very attainable one. And it was about that everyday endeavour as well. So it was like, you know, what we find is there's a big barrier there because people save their whiskey for a special occasion, which obviously reduces the amount of occasions you have, which reduces your rate of sale. So it was about actually, how do we bring this into the everyday? And like I say, keep this at the top of mind, like if you were going to have a gin or a wine or a beer, how do we get woodsmen into that kind of frame of reference? Um, so those honest everyday endeavours and just that kind of, you know, everything in moderation uh, was sort of where we really liked that insight that the consumers were telling us you didn't have a very famous actor walking down a mountainside with a with a six minute speech to camera about the kind of lengths they went to to create something you know what i mean that's kind of what you imagine in your head isn't it is the ultimate whiskey ad and this is like the complete antithesis for it um so for people listening because uh, most people will be listening can you describe the ad you made and and how you went about it i mean maybe john you could tell us sort of the where, the origin story of the idea and just you know bring it to life for us well i think it's kind of, it's called the woodsman so i think when we were kind of briefed on we need this sort of campaign and we had the well-earned position there how do we kind of bring this to life and i think the name itself has got a character it feels like there should be a character attached 
to the brand. Maybe not a physical one, but it needed, it certainly needed a voice, needed a personality. If it's ending with the woodsman, you need to kind of, the brand needs to adopt something. We had this, I would be lying if everyone presented ideas. There wasn't lumberjacks in some of the stuff that we kind of came back with. There was different forestry and woods. And we kind of tried lots of different things. But when the team sort of came back with beavers, let's have some beavers. Let's have beavers as our heroes of the ad. It's one of those ones where you hear it, you're like, I love it. I don't know why yet, but I love it. That's That feels like that's the right one. They And they kind of the way they kind of sold it was it just felt right. Because when you when you do start, I think when the consumer sees it, they just like it. They love it. It's a, it's a tale of three beaver brothers. Oh, they might not be brothers, but let's say they are. Kind of just working hard, doing their do, working in the forest, as beavers do. It's called beavering away for a reason. And all they're doing is they're working hard together, building something which results to be a, da- a kind of a jacuzzi at the end. And they just sit back and reward each other with a with a woodsman at the end of it. And I think it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's really relatable. But I think when you start to pick it away, that it's the woodsman. Beavers bloody love wood. I mean, they really do love, they really famously love wood. It's kind of, it all just kind of makes sense. And I think given that they're kind of these characters, I think people, friends, potential drinkers kind of can, asso- can associate with them more because you're not pretending to project my life on me as I am now, that's impossible to do, I think. So I think that's how it kind of came about. And, I think, and then presenting it to, to you guys, it was the one that immediately kind of stuck out and resonated and you kind of, um, sort of gravitated towards. Now, I, I'm, I'm feeling for Janice at this point because I, I, I can hear your pitch quite clearly, but I ha- my limited experience of traditional spirit businesses, this is quite a challenge the normal way of doing things. How, how did it go down back at base? It was interesting. So the brief was very much like, please do something different. We need to stand out. We don't have the resources to go big. Like you say, we've got some big competition out there who have got big media budgets and we don't have that. And we really, we had this positioning, we'd done kind of well-earned, we'd done bits and pieces on radio before, but we hadn't had that emotional campaign or that kind of centre of gravity. And we needed something that could go across multiple channels. So um, we knew it was a, a tough brief. And then coming back, I think, I can't remember if it was the first or the second route that uh, Mr. President kind of presented to us. I could not see past it. It was <laughs> after you've got that in your head, everything else just, you're actually thinking, what were those other routes? You know, like it just, it, it just seemed like it was, it was memorable. You knew you'd seen something different. It really fitted with actually the brand truth. So, you know, the fact that, you know, it's Scottish, these are animals that work with wood. They are kind of craftsmen, craftsmen. Um, you know, there was a lot of synergy with quality, with what we wanted to get across to the consumer about our product. You know, this wasn't about kind of diminishing the quality of the product in any way, but just about opening it up to that sociability. And it really, really did that. So I think, you know, straight up from the bat, it was like, actually, I really, really like it. And actually, I want to present this internally because we've never seen anything like this in any kind of pictures before. And the reaction? Uh, The instant reaction from my sales team, from my marketing colleagues was, we love it. They were all kind of quite shocked. But then there was that kind of wry smile that sort of actually this could be really good. It's very different. It's really, it's really outside of the comfort zone, let's say, from probably what White Mackay have presented on our brands before. I don't think we probably could have done it on any of our other brands, if I'm honest, mm-hmm. because, you know, obviously they come with history and with certain kind of expectations as well. So we felt a bit freer on Woodsman as a relatively new brand to be able to do something different. But presenting that to the board to say, this is the big idea, this is what's going to underpin the growth for the next few years, this is a five-year plan that we need to kind of all hold hands and agree to, 
was an interesting experience. I love those moments. They're, 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 they're those tumbleweed moments where you're so convinced by it, you look around the room and just go, okay, okay. <laughs> and I was so passionate about it, you know, especially when you've lived with it for a few weeks, you know, and you've worked it all up and... So That's really the challenge with these situations, isn't it? Because because I know in my experience, you kind of you, you know you go quite far down a route, don't you? And you get more and more excited by it, and then you realise she's presenting to a, a room cold who've never never sort of you know. So how how do you help with that? Well, I think that's it's a really interesting because I think there was actually mad as this sounds. That, it was actually quite a sensible decision to do beavers. Like there, we do actually have the rationale to kind of back it up, as I just said, about they're kind of indigenous to kind of Scotland, live in the woods, work really hard. It's called beavering wave kind of for a reason. And then, so it was kind of, there is all this logic. And when we presented it to you guys, we made a conscious decision as an agency to hold that back, like present the idea because that's how the public will see it, but then arm you guys with the thinking, with the rationale, with the strategy, so that there's a bit of rigour that's gone into it, so that when you are, when we sent you into that room cold to print these peoples, it'd be like, still you think, but we do have, we have this sort of to back it up. So we were really confident that it was exactly the right thing to do. It was kind of, yes, it was different, but again, that was the right thing to do. There was there's zero point, particularly with the spend that we had there. There was zero point just going into it and being mistaken for someone else or just or worse, not being noticed at all. So everybody said we needed to be distinctive. We needed to be kind of memorable. We knew with Barry and his beavers, we then had an asset which we were going to be able to use. And an asset beyond just a something you just slap on things. It actually, as you said, it stood for the brand values. It's a beaver for a reason. And it's kind of, yes, there will be times where it is just a beaver and that makes it recognisable and, and un, undoubtedly woodsman. But it also allows us, the brand, to sort of take on the other behaviours of it being well-earned and kind of have activations way beyond telly and alike. So so who chose Barry then? Is that, was there like a short list of names he came up with? That was the creative team. I think it was just pure alliteration came to play there. The, the other two, the director on the shoot, named them after his mum and dad. Um, I've forgotten what they're called now. Was one Graham? Graham and, and Gertrude, I'm, I'm going to say. Let's say that's, let's just say it's Gertrude and he'll tell me that was wrong. But Barry, Barry and his band of Beaver Brothers, I think the alliteration was just something that we couldn't help but kind of name him and coin him. I mean, I mean, th th there's a lot of lovely stuff in the campaign. I mean, one, one of the things that you've already talked about, which I think is amazing, is how the kind of communication idea in the products are so interwoven. You know, you see, it's partly why you had that gut reaction, I think, isn't it? You go, yes, it's telling our story. It's authentic to what we're about, which which is quite hard to get to sometimes. And but the other thing is you kind of entertained in a category that's really about education. I mean, it's like perfect serve. Here's the history of, you know, the, the, the barrels made in 1870 or whatever, you know, and, and you went in a completely different direction, which is entertain. But we know, of course, from, you know, marketing science that entertaining people is the way to kind of win them over and, you know, be remembered, which which is fantastic. Um, let's talk a bit, a bit more about Barry, though, because um, you kind of created a brand character. How important is it to have a sort of a character? Because uh, they're not that popular, and particularly not in, in the kind of whiskey category. No, and I think, you know, we're very, we know we're a very regulated industry. We have to be really, really careful in terms of the, uh, like the, the characters, the comms platforms we put across. And, mm. and as John already said, like even trying to use people is always really difficult because it evokes reactions sometimes that you're not, you're not really intending. So, um, I think we were very aware that using a character wasn't going to be the smoothest ride. Mm. And we weren't doing it just as a badge. We were doing it because actually it did really fit with the strategy and with all the insight and with what consumers were telling us. So it sort of felt like it did all come together and it wasn't just a token exercise. It was something that could have longevity, that could really fit with the brand and that we could really see working across all those channels. And it was never the brief, was it? To be fair, it was never, it was never, we need our character. We need, we need our thing. It was never that. And from you guys to us, and to, for me and to the teams, it was never that. 
And I think that could be a trap that I think brands could fall into. It was like, right, we need our, we need our character, find a character, any character that'll do. It works on one level of like, yeah, there's a consistency, but I think as I touched on earlier, it's got to stand for the values of it. And it's got to personify what the brand's all about beyond just visual recognition. So now that we've got him, I think, you know, it's absolutely about getting more people to see him in more places and kind of all of those things, but it's him to be at the front and alongside the woodsman, genuinely going out there rewarding our drinkers for honest everyday endeavor, knowing that he stands for that because he's a beaver and that's just what they do. They beaver, all, they beaver away. Um, so, really interesting thing about like taking using a character rather than actual person because when, when you show like celebrities you're sort of portraying who you think your audience is or who you're targeting the genius thing about characters is though you kind of appeal to everybody don't you 100 and the narrative the narrative is very very simple in the film it's kind of it's three friends helping each other out doing stuff throughout the day giving each other a hand going about their business finishing doing the do as they've done and then they kind of they build a jacuzzi, they sit back and they reward themselves. It's a, and that, that conviviality was really important to this drink as well. It's a social, it's a social drink. So yes, people understood that it was what the occasion was, that it wasn't much of an occasion. It was just a reward for honest endeavor. But they could also see themselves in their sort of friendship groups. And there were some funny things and some lovely little details we had with the director whereby we looked at our friendship groups and who is it is. And there was one that was slightly more portly than the others and one that was slightly more good looking than the other. So there was a dynamic that we kind of created in the treatment of these of these beavers that kind of then started to bring that through. But as you say, people just liked what they did and understood what that meant for them rather than us trying to shine a, a mirror back at them and saying, this is you, this is. Now, the, the other surprising thing I, I, I found about this is it's a funny ad. And, and again, in, in you know, very traditional category, humor's not really used very much, is it? Was, was that a conscious decision to try and make something entertaining and, and funny? We definitely wanted a lighthearted view. And I think that was in the brief, which was how can we have the social aspect? How can you break down that convention of this being kind of a really serious, you know, usually I think you think of a blended whiskey and you just kind of think, you know, um, maybe an older man uh, sat by a fireplace in Scotland, in the dark, solitary drinking, and actually on a special occasion. And so it was like, no, like it's, we want this to be social. We want this to be about friendships. We want this to be about the uh, reward for everyday endeavour. So yes, yeah, so it was about opening it up and actually what do you do when you're with your friends? You want to have a laugh. You want this to be entertaining. You don't want it to be too serious. So again, even though it probably wasn't so explicit and you don't really want a huge humour because it's obviously can be quite divisive, we liked the fact that Barry brought a little bit of lightheartedness to this. It was about let's not take ourselves too seriously because our customers don't. Um, so let's actually uh, lighten, lighten the way. It's, it's, it's something we forget, isn't it? That actually, you know, having a drink is, off, is a very social thing, very much, doesn't it? It is about enjoying time with friends. And, and whiskey can sometimes be portrayed in slightly sort of sat alone in the library, you know, kind of, kind of feel to it. So you kind of conveyed that, you know. That social bit of it. Yeah, and it's not it's not laugh out loud. There's no like huge there's a kind of a slight reveal at the end of the kind of thing. It's just it's endearing and entertaining throughout. And I think that also gives it the longevity. You know, it's kind of like the the rug pull gags are brilliant. And I, I love those ads, but they kind of, they don't necessarily have the longevity. And that's something we're really keen with this film that it it lives on and we kind of like we build this character moving forwards. And I think, you know, just the fact that he's a puppet as well, which is a very conscious decision we made, having that kind of imperfect, having that imperfection, making it not perfectly, not kind of making sure. Um, and there, was, there is homage to the great John West ad at the beginning where we start on this and it is, are they real? Are they not real? No, they're definitely not real. So there was a definite homage to that. And I've seen on a few comments on LinkedIn, there has been reference to that ad. And I think 
our job is done because that's one of my all-time faves. But yeah, so I think I think just tonally throughout, it was just engaging and endearing, which made it entertaining. Now, for everyone who's uh, watching, we, we we do actually have Barry live on set here. So, so so everyone meet Barry. They're going wave to the camera. Here he is. This is the so. Ha, ha, is Barry a one-off or is do you have to get Barry made? Spoiler alert: there are three in the ads. There are two made with three heads. Three heads. Three oh, you heads. Need more heads. That's just efficiency. There are some efficiencies we were doing to help our client friends out um, to try and make it work for kind of the budget. So yeah, no, there's, there was three, two, two puppets, three heads made um, so that we could then make sure that there was three of them. But yeah, we kind of like, we were just clever, shot it in a clever way so that they always appeared on screen. Actually, Barry's got a question for you. Hang on a sec. He's like, oh, he's checking about when he's going to get his commission. Yeah, his agents are on us. He's 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 a tough he's a tough guy. He looks lovely, but yeah, his rider list on set was quite long. Pretty demanding. One of the advantages, actually, isn't it? Of course, characters, he's not having to deal with agents and uh, expensive usage rights that run out after a year. In the... But talk to us a bit about the craft, because you, 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 there's a lot of lovely touches in the ad as well, isn't it? The voiceover, I thought was very right, the music, things like that. How important are those? those? Very. I mean, as you say, craft is always is super important. But I think with this, we were always going to be treading a line of we couldn't make this Whilst it was an animal, it could not be appealing at any point to children. So the crafting of it on one hand, on one hand was kind of pragmatic. And then on the other, there was a real kind of creative choice. Very early, we decided we wanted these to be real puppets, really made. If we were a brand that's rewarding honest endeavor, let's kind of reward people for making it. Let's reward the people who've crafted this and made this. Let's reward the puppeteers that have been painted out. Let's reward the people who painted out the puppeteers that are on it. And I think that was, so that was kind of really, really key. And I think we didn't want it to look too perfect because we didn't want it to appeal to kids, but also it, the way it moves and having that human, it's got a humanity, even though it's a beaver, it's got that humanity to it because you understand that it's being moved by a human. I think that makes it more engaging. That makes it more endearing. And I think, Every single bit of this whole process, this ad, we had to be really, really careful that it wasn't too overly saturated. We could, the colours had to be kind of muted the, in the grey that had to be sort of done. Arthur Smith, the voiceover, kind of like the gruffness of that, that was really, really important. The kind of the music being like a real kind of like bluegrass, kind of like, sort of like spit and stordust, kind of like, that was all kind of a conscious decision. We had mad, mad meetings in Mr P about... How bucked should his teeth be? How matted should his fur be? How gnarly should these guys be? Because we wanted them to be lovable and kind of endearing, but they couldn't be cute. At any point, could this ad be seen to be penis kids? So all these kind of things that we had to kind of walk a tightrope for, as I say, partly for legal reasons, partly it's kind of added to it and kind of the craft as well, but they're all conscious decisions. Do, I mean, does, does this stuff, how do you sign that off then from a client point of view to make sure you're on the right side of the regulations? We were getting lots of advice. So we were following kind of a lot of the legislation from the ASA and uh, all the Portman guidance. Code yeah, as well, Portman Code. Yeah. Um, the team at Mr. P were being uh, really diligent about dealing with kind of clear class right from the off. So we were very aware of the kind of parameters that we had to work within. Um, and we just made sure that we were really considering every angle. Um, you know, it wasn't in our interest to sort of um, do anything else because, again, we were on tight budgets. We didn't have loads of leeway. So we had to get this right from we went to shoot, didn't we? So, But there is, but there is no definitive when you speak to these lawyers and the clear cast. There is no, you can definitely do that. You can't. 
it's in our recommendation that you may consider it. So we've all come away, I think, with minor diplomas in kind of in legal and kind of like, because they would say, we suggest that, for example, there's the, the lyrics in the song that are playing there. There's part of our language that goes along with is like, don't dilly dally do. And uh, don't, you know, a doer doesn't dither and do what those that do do when they're done doing. We wanted this language, a real sticky language to stick. So we wanted this kind of like, don't dilly dally do and don't dilly dally to run throughout. But it came back from Clearcast as like, yeah, sorry, no lyrics. That's going to be appealing to kids. So you're like, on one hand, and this is credit to the client, they could be like, do you know what, guys, good effort. We're already kind of like on an edge. Let's just cut the lyrics. But I think we went away, huddled, grouped together. Why is it? Why is it the per se? Like for us, it's just a song that overlays the kind of the, the action. But there was a scene of one of the Beavers with a banjo playing the music. So when we start to really think and kind of put on a different hat and be like, I suppose if if a beaver is playing the banjo and that's part of the music, you could assume, someone could assume that they're also the voices and the kind of the vocals to it as well. So then we kind of took that scene out and it, and it worked and it kind of flew. But as I say, the guys could have said, yeah, nice try, John, but let's just get rid of it. Like, But they didn't. So I think it's a real testament to us and the team, my account team, Lily and Julie were kind of like devil's advocate for a long time, asking us and the question. We were having lots of crazy chats about the whole time, but I think we then hopefully gave you the, the confidence then we kind of presented back that we've thought about all these things. That ultimately, as I said, it was never guaranteed, but we were pretty sure that we'd done everything, thought about everything to make sure that it wasn't. Now, you've obviously got a very productive working relationship to get to kind of what you're doing. So, James, what are the secrets to kind of, you know, work, you know picking the right team to work with and getting, getting some good results from a client point of view? I think it's about, like you say, seeing yourselves as one larger team. So we're not on kind of two opposite sides. We're all trying to get to the same objective. And it was really important to us, I think, for us to be really open and transparent about what we were trying to do. Because then that, you know, hopefully gives these guys the sense of, you know, they know exactly what we're looking for. That gives them the confidence to push the boundaries a little bit. You know, we stick to our side of the bargain, which is we've asked you to do this. So now let's actually put, you know, let's stay true to that and be brave enough to kind of say, you know what? Like you've come back, you've given us an idea that stands out. Now, now we all believe it in our gut that this is the right thing to do. So we are going to be the champions of that. So, uh, like John said, like there was loads of hard work. Like the teams did a brilliant, brilliant job, and it was back and forth. Like you know, I suppose no road is ever that smooth or that straight. Uh, for, you know, to get really, really good work. But there was always that partnership. There's always that sort of will to make it work. And it wasn't ever at any point the kind of sense of right, we're ready to give up here. It was like we all believe this can do this, and we can do this. You know, so I think having that kind of plan and all being really really committed to seeing it through it really helps so there's a lot of trust a lot of partnership and I think just working as one team and kind of not you know like I say working together really that collaboration is really important yeah, it wouldn't happen it wouldn't it just wouldn't have happened that way let's just say it just would have been diluted to be nowhere near as good as it was now or it would have just been parked and we would have gone back to one of those lumberjack ones which would which would have been a shame for everyone i did like your point about well it's what you asked for right you were asking to break category convention and do something different and appeals to everybody so uh, you, you got what you, you got what you ordered as i say um let's talk about the results as well so you smashed the system one test congratulations how important is it to have the sort of data to back up the decision to get you know get everyone on on side Oh, I mean, for us, I mean, the results are everything. I mean, we, we, you know, we need to deliver commercially in order for this to kind of continue to get the investment. Um, so this was a bit of a risk for us. It was kind of um, one of our newer brands. You know, there's always other brands you can spend your money on. And so it's, you know, trying to get that share of voice internally is always really hard. 
what worked really, really well is our buyers, uh, the retailers, they loved it. So it really gave us something to talk to them about. They were very excited by it. It gave us kind of, you know, we could take in, um, obviously, the ads, we could take in the puppets, we could really immerse them in sort of what we were trying to do. And so actually, the sales results that came through really, really started to make a difference really quickly. Mm. So I know we talk like the long and the short, but actually when you have a really good campaign, I think we're all very confident in saying you will see instant results as well as then hopefully, you know, kind of that continual growth as we go through the long term. So yeah, so recruitment wise, I mean, if you look at the blended whiskey category, uh, this brand is now the only brand to be recruiting new consumers in. Um, so it's actually kind of the category itself is, is relatively flat, but uh, Woodsman's now up 35% in value. Uh, I think we've recruited in 140. 2% growth in terms of new customers. You know, there's a uh, yeah, huge amounts of people who are discovering our brand because of this campaign. And I think if you put all the different elements together, you can just see it building and building, you know, and that momentum kind and of And retailers love that, don't they? Because because then you've got a very clearly defined role in the category. You're, you know, you're growing the overall, you know, pie for the for the retailers. That's really really powerful. And you also touched on something I think I think that's not always understood is the importance that campaigns have in, in, in the buying relationship with your customers because they're looking for evidence that you're supporting the brand, you've got something exciting coming. And if they get behind the brand in store, then everything else works. People won't just see it, they'll also be able to buy it as well. Definitely. We've very much like um, started to work on this whole philosophy of you can't just launch a product, you have to like launch and love it. And like you say, the buyer's expectation is that you are going to be driving your brand and making sure that you are driving their category. And I think it's about understanding exactly what they need to get out of it for them. You know, if, if their category isn't growing and your, your brands aren't helping that, then they are going to delist you and the big guys are the only ones that are going to survive. Um, but we're giving them every reason to keep us in, give us more shelf space, give us the right shelf space. Um, and that all helps because it's, it's, you know, it's like in any of the marketing theory, it's, it's all well and good having mental availability. If you haven't got the physical availability, you're not going to be able to be bought. So the two have to go hand in hand. Uh, we're very good at physical. And I'm glad to say with this campaign, we've actually got a lot better at the mental availability as well. So. Yeah, and the two, two things work hand in hand. We sometimes forget, we sometimes think about them doing different things, but actually they, you know, they complement each other a lot. Uh, in fact, my, my colleague Orlando sort of slightly rebranded long and the short of it to talk about the short and the lasting is that when you do campaigns like this, they're lasting effects, you know, that they, it's not like you have to wait till some sort of moment in the, a year down the line for it all to take effect. You know, it begins today, if it's good, of course, it begins then and, and it builds over time. And I mean, what we also see from the system on database as well is that the more good ideas are repeated and refreshed, they just get better and better every time because familiarity yeah. breeds, con, you know, um, contentment rather than contempt is, is the <laughs> is the phrase we often use, kind of thing. So, j just touch on the results again. So, what what um, what has it done in terms of? Because I believe the twelve weeks after you launched were pretty spectacular. Yeah, they were huge. I mean, we've gone. We, we weren't even in the top ten of brands. Now we're kind of just top ten blended, and there's some really big brands in there. Um, you know we can see the trajectory carrying on. So I think our, our objective was uh, we wanted to be about 20% up. And like I say, we've smashed that and we're sort of over 35% up. Uh, we are on track to deliver our five-year plan. So the investment's there. And I think one of the things we wanted to do with this was to prove, like with any new brand, it's like, actually, do we understand the consumer? Can we appeal to the consumer? And can we, in a way, understand the growth drivers that allow us to take this brand beyond the UK? 
So at the moment, you know, very much the focus of the campaign and our growth plan was UK centric, but our hope is that we will be able to take that into other markets kind of in the future. Um, and so we're enjoying the journey and uh, seeing that growth and just even like that demographic of the people coming into the category. So as we've talked about before, like whiskey is quite a, um, a category dominated by an older age group, whereas now I'd say 50% of our woodsman drinkers are under 50, which uh, for normal blends, that's around about like 10%. So, um, you know, it's hugely different. So again, when we're talking to the buyers, when we're talking to those who are in charge of the category, we've got so many compelling uh, facts to share with them um, that it's actually really, you know, it's, it, the commercial argument is there as well as the consumer one. Um, so it's working well. That's very, very exciting. Well, I'm dying to find out what happens next then. So, so like you've, you've had this sort of smash hit campaign, as I say, top the system one charts and, and whiskey was very standout, very different. What do you do next? It's about, it's about carrying on. Like you said, like, actually, what we're really thrilled with is, you know, what we don't want to do on our tight budgets is constantly recreate the wheel and be constantly redoing creative. So now we've got this asset, that is what is now going to go through into kind of, you know, the subsequent years, subsequent periods. So uh, because we're all so excited about the results, you know, we're very, very confident to run this again. We're very confident to take it into different trading periods. So, you know, Barry can appear through Halloween, through Bonfire Night, through Christmas. You know, there's always, there's so much that we can tailor to the different social events mm. um, and now it's all just about how do we amplify and kind of put more money into kind of the media um, than, than actually going back to the drawing board and starting again so it's about more and like you say breeding that sense of familiarity and that uh, recognition of the campaign and of the brand to hopefully catapult it oh, it's music it's my ears it's amazing it's probably the thing we, we, we tell our customers more than anyone else is it, you take sort of Audi with Kevin the carrot you know who'd have thought right a little humble carrot would end up dominating Christmas you know but every year it gets better and, and and Kevin pops up all over the place you know social media in store you know as, as a toy and you know in, in the press and it just it's amazing it just it just you know the return on that every year just gets more and more impressive so that's definitely the way to go uh, super exciting well look thank you so much it's been it, it's quite a story and uh, and quite impressive and and presumably you've, you've done this on much more modest budgets I'm assuming um you know in terms of your competitor you about not being in the top 10 you've got some pretty big competition and uh, spectacular really uh, yes is the answer we have but it's kind of as I say it's when you've got really good team really clear brief really great audience insight and, and that confidence and partnership you can do it it doesn't you don't need to throw money at it no sufficiently like using your spend in a way that's going to make an impact and I think you know again that was in the brief which was we need a campaign that will cut through uh, because we don't have enough money to really kind of you know have a creative that is quite wallpaper it was like how do you how do you stand out so that actually every uh, view that you get is memorized is remembered it's, it's a very good point isn't it I mean we, we do a lot of modeling for people and it's like you know you can either spend your way to market share and, and it's fairly predictable kind of pattern there or if you can't spend your way you have to out creative you know and, and, and you know we know the kind of balance in terms of results is it's half the creative and half the media plan and if you haven't got the media you've got to go absolutely make the creative stand out which I think you've done really well yeah Brilliant. Thank you both. It's been real joy. Well, three, thanks for having uh, three. Yeah, I was going to say, and big thanks to Barry. Yeah. He's um, going to be a busy boy, I reckon, <laughs> based on what you've just said. And, yeah. and the band of Beaver Brothers as well. Uh, thank you very much. Will the banjo make an appearance? We shall see. We'll have to speak to Claircast. I was going to say. It's there. It's there in the cutting room floor. We'll see. That'll be yeah, the after 9pm watershed <laughs> exactly or something. Right. Exactly. Definitely. Brilliant. There you go. We're here to hurt here first. Cheers. Great. Thank you both. Cheers. Thank, thank you. you. Amazing. 
Thank you very much for listening or watching Uncensored CMO. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching, hit subscribe there as well. I'd also love to get a review. Reviews make a big difference on other people discovering the show. So please do leave a review wherever you get your podcast. If you want to contact me, you can do. I'm over on X at Uncensored CMO or on LinkedIn where I'm under my own name, John Evans. Thanks for listening and watching. I'll see you next time.